<laughs> you, you know, this is an interesting and efficient method of murder. I, I need to write this down. <laughs> so, if someone switched the meds on purpose, I'd be dead in ten minutes. Like stone cold dead? Yes, your full symptoms in five sweats, disorientation, and then... Yes, that big dose injected within ten, your... your brain and... Yes, ten minutes. Yeah, from the moment of injection. Uh, it's eight-ish now, and even if the victim called for an ambulance when he first felt the symptoms, and if he lived in a great big country house like we do, the ambulance would take at least 15 minutes to arrive, and it would be too late. If the victim didn't have the emergency Nexus stuff. Marta, do you have the Nexus stuff? Yes, I'm going to find it. I have it because it, it comes with the kids. It should be here. It has to be. It's like a... Welcome to part two of our Knives Out episode. But before we go into uh, real talk proper, we are going to do a little bit of PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can find on our exclusive patron channel. Uh, and also we'll let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Alex... Last episode, I was not prepared. I hadn't quite gotten the new QVR assignments, but I have them now uh, from right. uh, patron Sam Hurley. Uh, he's giving you the Peanut Butter Falcon, which is on IMDb yes. TV. That's like one that's been on my back burner forever. Like on my, I've been meaning to watch, so I'm excited about that. Are you excited for uh, the uh, Shia LaBeouf like, sort of mini renaissance that, that this movie was part of? Or is it because it has to do with a kid that wants to be a wrestler? Both? You know me. I always liked Shia. Uh, I was a big Lawless fan, possibly the biggest. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, it's just one. I mean, it just looks like a good movie, and I've been meaning to watch it for a while. So I'll be excited to do so. On my end of the QVR uh, deal... This month, uh, Sam is giving me the movie Victoria, which is a German movie, from what he said, from 2014, 2015. I looked it up. It's on Tubi. Sam told me to go as blind as possible. So I'm, I'm putting on my, my Baccarat goggles, and I, I don't know anything other than it's it, the name and the country it comes from. That's it. So so you get, the, you get the fun movie with the fun title, and I get an obscure German film. I, I see how it is, Sam. But... Uh, <laughs> I shall do my duty. Quick video reviews from both of us for that. Uh, we'll also have uh, part four of our uh, Rock Cena journey, the one that, that actually covers the match. Alex? Finally. This At long is, last. You're not just going to tell me about it, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to watch it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that is, that's been preserved for, for posterity? It's been built to this moment. You're going to see the whole... All of it. The Flow Rider performance, the Machine Gun Kelly performance, Diddy coming out and just saying, hey, what's up, y'all? And then, yeah, the, the match in its in its majesty. Coming off the heels of our CM Punk episode, which I was a big fan of, uh, I dominated the discussion in that one more than the others, but it, your uh, commenting in it and your interjections were amongst some of my favorite we've done so far. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to what's going to come with part four. Cool, cool. Me too, me too. Uh, and then we have... Uh, our patron exclusive episode uh, this month, uh, picked by patron Dan Brennick, is the movie Annihilation uh, from another one I'm looking forward to watching. Yep, uh, you liked Ex Machina, right? Like, I did. I... I didn't like it as much as everybody else, but I did like it. Okay, we, we've geeked out at the very least about the the Oscar Isaac dance. If nothing else, we both oh, yeah. appreciate that on the same level. Uh, well, this is from the same director, same writer director, Annihilation. Uh, and then you know the, the the stuff that we always put up there, our uh, our pre-recording notes, the cutting room floor uh, clips, and of course Contrarians After Hours. The spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we've watched, that we've listened to, that we played, that we've read. Uh, Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time? Uh, two movies I watched recently. I would like to discuss with you, Julio. <laughs> Sounded so formal. Uh, Windfall with uh, Jesse Plemons and um, Jason Siegel, as well as Lily Collins. Uh, my buddy Kyle on his letterbox referred to Jesse Plemons as Plem Dog Millionaire, and I don't know if I'll ever be able to <laughs> unsee that. And then um, the latest Adele XR Choplis entry, 
no, is it no fucks given? Zero fucks given? Let me see here. I fucking hate the name of the movie. It's on um, a new streaming service I got. Um, <laughs> the Adele streaming service? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Mubi? Mubi? M-U-B-I? Are you familiar with this? Yes. Yeah. No, I'm I'm subscribed to Mubi. I didn't know it was playing a movie. Shit. Yeah, it is. Check it out. Uh, it's really good. 93% on Rotten Tomatoes currently. It's nothing like I was expecting. Like, it's... I kind of had an idea. <laughs> yeah, that too. Well, you know, God knows how much I love Blue Zorma's Color, and all of y'all know how much I love that movie, but her filmography has been kind of uh, a mixed bag, to say the least, since then. So coming into it, I kind of tapered expectations, but I also had an idea of what it was going to be, and it was nothing like that, and I was very, very much in love with that movie. So I need to find out what the actual translation of the title is because i have a hard time thinking that in france they're just <laughs> zero fucks given <laughs> zero fucks given about how to translate this to english For like, real. uh on my end you're you're watching brand new stuff because windfall is also pretty new uh but on my end i i'm going back in time alex this is just i don't know if it's gonna make me feel like out of touch i'm like the last person arriving at this party but uh the Lion King, the stage musical based on the animated movie from Disney from 1994. <laughs> uh, somehow it made its way to Austin this month. And uh, my wife and I got tickets and we were really close to the stage. And then kind of as a, as a, a side note, like a, an attachment to that experience, uh, it was our, our social media guru's birthday that same day. So I went from the Lion King to her little uh birthday party shindig uh, soiree soiree yeah it, it kind of i mean i'm not gonna give the play-by-play of zoe's birthday party but it's more of a it made me think about how uh things are kind of getting back to normal but they're not quite back to normal and how you know we're all experiencing that transition uh i know i certainly was like i as i was in that you know surrounded by in, in that party surrounded by uh, mostly people i didn't know like I it just I just realized that I hadn't been in that situation in over two years, you know, because that's the kind of thing that I used to do, you know, just going there and hanging out with new people and all that stuff. And and the last two years have been very restrictive. Uh, so I just wanted to talk a little bit about that because I think that it's I want to say it's probably something each of our patrons probably has a similar experience, not you know a carbon copy of it, but. I don't know. I kind of want to like spark the conversation. I want to hear how everybody else is uh, doing with the transition back into what might be the new normal. So that's it. But but first, I'm going to tell you about the Lion King, and then you know we'll save that for the end. So if anybody wants to skip it, they can just skip it at the very end. There you go. <laughs> all that stuff on After Hours, plus all the other stuff that we said was going to be on the channel. If any of that sounds interesting, you should definitely visit our Patreon page, Patreon.com/slash/ContrarianPrime. Uh, that's where you can see our tiers and decide if you would like to join the Contrarian supplements and just contribute to the costs. One dollar, three dollar, five dollars, and ten dollars. Head on over. A $1 membership per month will get you access to the uh, Roxena uh, ongoing saga we're doing right now, as well as, you know, just the, the entry level stuff, bonus episodes, cutting room floor materials. Uh, so, you know, four quarters, go check it out and see what, what you like. And then at that point, maybe you'll get an itch and want to, want a little bit more contrarians in your life. Give us a few more bucks. Just check it out. See what you like. Uh, if there's something there you, would like to see more of, be sure to let us know. We are the contrarians at gmail.com. If there's something there that you're not digging, this goes to all of our current patrons as well. Just let us know. Hey, you know, focus over here a little bit more and don't pay so much attention uh, to the back door there. You know, th- that area is getting worked enough. Let's just, uh, let's keep it all up front here. Always uh, working the back door. That's right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we have uh, over there right now too, uh, a piece I was surprisingly proud of Julio and I's retrospective on WB films. Go ahead and check that out. Use an hour of your time, uh, $1 and, uh, it's you don't have to be a wrestling fan to get anything from it. It's just talking about the uh, hilarious uh, number of A-listers that WWE Films was able to dupe to come in and you know say a few lines and whatnot. It was a good time recording it as well. So check it out. Let us know what you think. If there's something you want more of, let us know. Uh, to any and all of our current patrons, we love y'all. Thank you so much for continuing to support us. And uh, to any and all future patrons. 
next time we give this message, you could be involved in that love as well. So check it out. Like in the last few episodes and like in the next two or three episodes, uh, here is a promo for the live stream for The Cure, which is getting closer and closer. Our spot is May 21st. 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that after this promo. Hello, everyone. My name is Nick. I'm the host of Nikolai's Kitchen, and I'm also the host of the annual live stream for The Cure. Livestream for the Cure is a charity event where we raise money with content creators and podcast partners from around the world for the Cancer Research Institute, a wonderful nonprofit researching cancer immunotherapy, training the body's immune system to fight all forms of cancer. This is a mission and a future that I truly believe in. And myself and my team worked tirelessly over the past five years to raise over $50,000 for this cause. This year, we're aiming for our biggest single goal to date of $20,000, and we cannot do it without your help. Please join us for the event May 19th through the 21st, starting at 9 a.m. Eastern for 45 hours of content from people all over the world. Together, we can bring hope for a future immune to cancer. The more eyes we reach, the more dollars we raise. Please help us in making this goal a reality. Together, we can make a difference. All right, so Alex, we're not ready to quite, uh, we're not ready to reveal exactly what we're doing on our segment for the Lesson for the Cure uh, this year. Not yet, but uh, well, we can let our listeners know, I think we might have mentioned it at least on the Patreon channel at some point, is that it's going to be a different experience this time. It's going to be a little more interactive. So if it's even more of an incentive for you guys to show up and just be there while we're doing the stream so you can uh, participate because we're going to be uh, listening to the chat and kind of responding and crafting the segment uh, in accordance to that, to what the to what the people watching are, are, are doing and are saying. So May 21st, 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Mark your calendars. Make sure that you can be connected to the internet for an hour uh, on that day. And now, Alex we can go to real talk. Something is afoot with this whole affair. I know it. I believe you know it too. All right, Julio, Knives Out, 2019 American mystery film, written and directed by Ryan Johnson, released Thanksgiving 2019, a budget of $40 million, which is honestly kind of surprising considering the players who are involved. Uh, box office return of a little bit over $310 million. 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. Nominated for the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. Julio, you going to tell me what actually uh, took it home? So that was 2020, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, I know, I know. It was uh, Promising Young Woman, right? No. Oh, that was 2021 then. Fuck. Mm-hmm. Come on, man. Get out. Dominated. Get out? No. That was the year before. Shit. Circling that answer, dominated. Um, what was the big twenty twenty movie? Now it's all. Was it the last good Oscars? It was. Yeah. Oh, uh, Parasite. Correct. Yeah, I had to think back to the the, the party that the get together that we had here. <laughs> yes, Parasite uh, took it home. Knives Out nominated along with uh, <laughs> Marriage Story. Uh, <laughs> 1917 and uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So, you know, four out of five ain't bad. <laughs> we like Ryan Johnson. You and I, I think, to some of our listeners' displeasure, are pundits and defendants of The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, don't mean to speak for you. Uh, Force Awakens was a lot of fun, but Last Jedi was easily the highlight of the modern trilogy. Yep. Is that are you okay saying that? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, I love Looper. I think Looper is fantastic. It's just a great action sci-fi movie. With God, I love the ending of that movie so much. That's like one of my favorite endings to a movie. I haven't seen Brothers Bloom, but curiously enough, and I think it's just you know we're around each other so much that. We start to share kind of one brain. Neither of us were particularly impressed by Brick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is the part where uh, our podcast friend and, and past guest, Eddie Strait, just turns the episode off. I know, yeah, he's a he's a big fan of it. Brick is weird because it's not, you know, if he just, if he had kept making movies like that, then 
I wouldn't be a fan of his filmmaking. <laughs> and I understand like that's still like a very Ryan Johnson movie and, and it's very creative, but I I felt that maybe you had the same problem. I felt that it was just kind of a like the gimmick runs out of steam about thirty minutes in and then you still have another hour of movie to go. And I was like, oh I I get it. <laughs> Can we do something else? I haven't seen Brothers Bloom either. So we're exactly on, on the same level as far as uh, Ryan Johnson expertise. Because we've seen his uh, Breaking Bad episodes too. Yes, we have. So I guess that comes into the film we're discussing here today, Knives Out. And before we just get into how we feel about it, 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, Julio. That does mean there was 3% of the critics that uh, are acknowledged by the elusive and wily tomato meter that... Uh, Gave it a thumbs down. Gave it a, a nasty green splotch. What, uh, what were the naysayers saying? Uh, there's uh, there's over 400 reviews on Red Tomatoes My for, God. for this. Yeah. So you kind of have to scroll through a lot of fresh tomatoes to get to one of the green splotches. But here's here's four of them. Wesley Lovell from uh, Cinema Sight says, A predictable whodunit that seems to want to act as a homage to the great mystery features of the past, but ends up feeling like a recycled plot from a lesser Agatha Christie novel. Uh, you a big Agatha Christie fan, Alex? Can't say that I am. Yeah, they, uh, they're they kind of trying to, to make Agatha Christie happen again with... Uh, you know, they did uh, Murder in the Orient Express a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, and this year we saw, is it Death on the Nile? I think the one that just came out. I don't think it's been doing well. So we probably, we might not get a third one to, to close the trilogy. But that's, uh, I don't know. I like Agatha Christie novels. I can, I've read a few. I mean, it's been a while. But, you know, when I was a kid, I remember finding, finding them interesting. I don't know. Uh, I think that it's it oversimplifies what the what Knives Out is trying to do if you say that it's just recycling Agatha Christie. Then again, uh Glenn Lovell I wonder if Glenn Lovell is related to Wesley Lovell. Shit. They're right for different uh uh, publications though. Glenn Lovell from Cinema Dope says, at over two hours, this salute to Dame Agatha feels overlong, padded. The denouement isn't reached so much as laboriously cuffed up like a fur ball. Um disagree. <laughs> I I wouldn't call it the Denouement, because I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but I like the ending, <laughs> if that's what he's talking about. Michael Smith from Tulsa World says, I left not caring what the future held for a single one of these characters. Michael, where's your empathy? I know I cared for Jamie Lee Curtis. Like, I was curious if she was going to get over it and move on with her life. I definitely care for Mara. Uh, I thought Marta was, uh, you know, I was like, what's she going to do? And I was mildly curious about the further adventures of uh, Benoit Blanc. Everybody else can go fuck themselves. You didn't want uh, Michael Shannon, man. No, nah, I mean, now that we're in real talk, I, I think that was fine. I think that he he showed his true colors and that's all I needed to see. You know, he, he kind of crossed the line when he went to passive aggressively threaten her at her home. Kind of like with the... You know, we never we didn't mention her once in Contrarian's Corner. Uh, Meg, Tony Collette's daughter. Yeah, she. Uh, I think that she's also like I know everything I need to know about her. You know, she. Uh, she was trying to be an ally, and then she showed her true colors at one point. Then she apologizes, but you still like at the very end, she's still standing with her family. So yeah, I don't need to see any more of her. But Jamie Lee Curtis, though, I mean, I, I like that she uh, she breaks off uh, her marriage. <laughs> she's like fuck this. Yeah, I love how the last shot of Don John sees he has a black eye. Yep. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Let's close with uh, Grace Randolph from Beyond the Trailer, who says, Okay, I guess, but not at all what the trailers promised. Audiences sold on an ensemble murder mystery, but instead they get a thriller with aggressive political undertones. I don't think this is a thriller, just to begin with. No. 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 Uh, Aggressive political undertones, that's a different thing. Like, that I agree with, but I don't think it's a bad thing. I actually like that a lot, but I don't know. I, I was wondering if that would be the one thing that would turn you off this movie whenever they, they got political. So I guess this is where I get to find out, Alex. I don't think they ever got, like, overly political to the point of annoying. But obviously, Grace Randolph disagrees. <laughs> she... Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> she can be wrong. It's okay. So, so tell me, Do Alex. Do you think it gets too political? 
not in a bad way. I, and, and honestly, I've uh, I've enjoyed the the political aspect of it on rewatches even more. Like I remember, like the first time thinking, like, man, this was pretty fucking awesome, and then kind of just relish it even more. Like you know, I think it, it digs deeper. Right? I feel it dig deeper when I rewatch it like on one hand it's just so simple like yes they're like entitled white people <laughs> that's that's pretty... yeah I feel like that's part of the joke right yeah uh, but the the biggest uh, I don't know okay the most clever thing in, in the movie the most clever element in the movie I think relates to that I, I love that I love that the movie argues that Marta is supposed to should get away with what she's done mm-hmm. because she's a good person, you know? And it kind of shows you that things are not black and white. Like on paper, she was complicit to suicide slash murder, you know, like whatever you call it. Like, And so if you're going like by the book in a way, if if you refuse to see the shades of gray in her story, then she's, you know, she just deserves to be punished. And instead she is gifted like this fortune and you know she ends up on top and there's that conversation early on when uh you know the most political like i guess openly political moment in the movie when uh don johnson and tony collette are like arguing and don johnson is like talking about illegal immigrants and he's like they broke the, they broke the law and they need to you know suffer the consequences for that and it's like yeah that's the kind of argument that makes sense on a very like on paper on a very logical level but it ignores like the gray area side of it it's like you know why does someone break the law and how does somebody find themselves in a situation where they could be seen as the enemy or the you know a, a bad person and what else is there to it and so i just love that it sets that up in that moment and then th- the entire movie is about proving that that stands wrong you know and saying like it's more than that. Like I, I, I think that anybody watching the movie walks away from it thinking there's no way that you think that Marta was in the wrong or that she deserved to be punished. If everybody could just muster that amount of empathy for, let's say, illegal immigrants, then maybe you know we would be in a better place right now. <laughs> be, we'd be less divided and we'd be like a little more just I don't know together, you know, as a country or whatever. So that whole aspect. It's, you know, it's, there's a lot more going on in the movie that's just pure fun, like the murder investigation and the the twists and turns and all that stuff. But just the fact that at the heart of it all, there's this illegal immigrant, well, daughter of an illegal immigrant that finds herself, you know, in a lot of trouble, but she's a good person. And the only reason that we know this is because we're seeing things from her point of view in this movie. Whereas, like, if we were told the story, like, in a cold news report, it would be just, oh, a reckless nurse accidentally poisons and kills her employer. Send her to the chair. So I I, I think it's actually, it it feels, like, timely and political in in that sense, you know, above everything else that it, on on top of everything else that that it does really well. But, But I've seen it, like I said, four times now. Like, this is your first time watching it. So I'm very curious to see how you, how you reacted to it. Four times. Yeah, I told you. Like, I screened it, then I watched it with Kelly, then uh, we watched it with Kelly's mom last year, and now this time. I don't know. I didn't really feel... I didn't take away too much that it was trying to say, um, other than just, you know, being a fun, quirky whodunit, as is in the the top of the poster. Uh, I don't know. It's an interesting story, and I, I like the idea of, you know, that... It's just like a movie, like a, a throwback to like the golden age of movies of intricate and um, looks good and like the fun aspect of like, you know, it's a, a mystery writer that has this mystery surrounding his death. It's just kind of, it's a throwback to me. Uh, I guess the elements of like politics and shit were thrown in there maybe to modernize it a little bit, but yeah, at no point did I really get much of a feeling of was this overly you know, substantive like it just kind of was what it was well even i appreciate that, that, all uh, the acting that final shot is very i mean i kind of poked fun at it on uh concerns corner but it is very you know the <laughs> the hispanic woman suddenly lording over the the white people that were yeah that's funny you know looking down on her and that they were so condescending throughout the entire movie to her uh 
just the little things like fucking Don Johnson quoting Hamilton in the middle of his interrogation where he goes like, immigrants, we get the job done. <laughs> it's just such a, it's such a like ridiculous thing that somebody like him would do, right? Like, number one, he's not an immigrant. <laughs> he's not an immigrant. And number two, like, you know, not only does he quote Hamilton. He has such but, a shit-eating grin on his face. I know, I know. And he feels the need to explain that he's quoting Hamilton. <laughs> Just to make sure that you get it, right? It's just so funny. And then the fact that they keep uh, changing the, you know, depending on who you ask, they'll tell you that she's from a different country. So Jamie Lee Curtis mm-hmm. says that she's from Ecuador, that, that Marta is from Ecuador. And then uh, Don Johnson says that she's from uh, Uruguay. And then <laughs> uh, I think it's Chris Evans who said that she's from Brazil. Uh, yeah, she called Brazilian, yeah. And then I think like two or three different people at some point go up to her and go like, yeah, we wanted you. I, I wanted you at, at the funeral, but I was, but I was, I was outvoted. outvoted. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just like the hypocrisy. It just the, I, I, I love it. It's just so good. And just to see them kind of like get theirs at the very end. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I, I, I like it a lot. And I wonder uh, if it's if some people would be offended by it. I, I don't think so. Like, I think it's it's very, you know, I, I think that the people that would be offended by it, I don't know that they would like actually like spend this much time thinking about it and analyzing it to actually find, you know, the thing that would offend them. But I could be wrong. But, you know, 97%, I mean, I guess you could, you could make the case that maybe most critics, most movie critics lean liberal, lean to the left. And that's why, you know, it would be a positive experience whether you pick up on the politics of it or not. But I don't know. I I, I like that that a lot. Uh, who's your Who's your favorite character? I can't decide if I really like Daniel Craig in this or not because it is just like <laughs> to the point of like when he first started speaking when I was watching it. Because again, you know, y'all know I don't keep up with modern films, so I didn't really have any idea of what to expect coming into this, which is cool because mm-hmm. you know. If I had paid attention, I probably would have known, known like how it played out. But anyway, the first time he spoke, I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> um, so that was so tickling. But like we said, or like we alluded to, excuse me, in Contrarian's Corner, it straddles this fine line of almost becoming shtick. But I think it's just so funny to see him do something like this when he's been painted as such like you know Munich James Bond that guy. Yep, um, and he's clearly having a good time. I did read. I hope you're going to tell me that he's like uh, Benicio Del Toro in uh, The Usual Suspects. That he just came with that accent. <laughs> it's not something oh. that Ryan Johnson wanted. Just a decision he made. Ryan Johnson contemplated cutting Blanc's donut speech, but Craig convinced him that it was good. Watching the actor deliver it sold him on keeping the entire thing. <laughs> like that, that just feels like the logical conclusion of his character is just to give that insane speech. <laughs> Strange case from the store. A case with a hole in the middle. A donut. I'm just talking through my process here. Let me know if this is boring. But then it's the precursor to him completely figuring out everything that happened. And like I said, it's the Michael Scott thing. Yeah. So I really enjoyed that. I'm always going to love Michael Shannon. I think he's pretty funny in this as well. Uh, Ryan Johnson said Michael Shannon was by far the funniest person on set and came up with a lot of his characters' funny lines and physical moments, such as his triumphant arm raise during the eat shit scene and his retort, <laughs> I will not eat one iota of shit. <laughs> uh, and I don't know. Everyone's really good and kind of uh, understated in this, which I really like. You know, everyone has these kind of ridiculous characters, but no one's around long enough to, uh, with the exception of Daniel Craig, for it to really, like, reverberate. Like Jamie Lee has her little part, and uh, even Christopher Plummer and the little mm-hmm. moments he has is so fucking good. Like I said, that whole scene where he's just dressing down his whole family—it's fa- fantastic. <laughs> um, but if I had to pick a favorite, Don Johnson's such an asshole. <laughs> you had brought it up specifically, so I made note of this. It was Don Johnson's idea for his character to hand his empty plate to Marta as she was the maid during the immigration conversation. <laughs> it's so like he doesn't even look at her. It's just like he's talking and he just hands it over. And he has it there for like a little bit. Kind of like, can you please get this? It's yeah. Such a dick. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it would either be him or uh, Michael Shannon just in terms of like when they were on screen. I kind of perked up and, you know, paid extra attention to their mannerisms and everything. 
you know, for a two hour and 10 minute movie, I didn't take one break. I was pretty enchanted by what was going on. I just kind of plorped down in front of the TV and took my notes. And when it got to the end, when they were going back to the house and I checked the time and there was still 30 minutes left, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know where I would cut things out. You have to have all of that to make the ending as impactful as it was. Mm-hmm. This isn't fucking Wolf of Wall Street where you could cut an hour of that movie out and still have the same ending and just be as impactful. It's uh, Everything's there for a reason, and that's, for the most part, my experience with Ryan Johnson's movies, being Looper and uh, Last Jedi being my favorites, of like everything in there is there for a reason and matters and means something in the end. And that's kind of what happened here. I, I don't really know how they do a sequel... Do you know if it's going to be all the same players and shit? No, I think it's uh, it's Daniel Craig with a new case. Oh, it's like an anthology type thing? Yeah, yeah, because they've been announcing, like, cast. I know Batista is in it. Like, that was one of the big names that they dropped last year, I think. Excellent. Uh, but this, yeah, so it's going to be another all-star cast and Daniel Craig just investigating. I, I wouldn't put it past them to have at least a cameo from uh, Anna de Armas, you know. Yeah. Maybe they, they stay in touch. Or they could just double down on it and have her be his assistant for real this time. I don't know. But I would prefer it if it was just a brand new cast. Because that way you don't have to explain. You know, you can just leave Marta's story open-ended. Just the audience yeah. can can fill in the blanks. Uh, but yeah, it, it sounds like it's, it's just going to be another murder mystery. And I, I'm so down for that. So I know my favorite uh, character as far as like the, the best part of the movie for me has become Christopher Plummer. Uh, because... Mm-hmm. Now that I know what's really going on, you know, in, in the scene where where everything happens, where, you know, the, the meds get switched and all that stuff, it's actually, it's really sad. And it's very, uh, like, you can watch him figure it all out. And, you know, while she's panicking and she's, she starts crying and everything, he's slowly coming to terms with what's happening. And he knows that he's dying, or he thinks that he's dying. And uh, he's trying to calm her, but it's also, you can see that he's putting it all together it's like okay how do we how do we get her out of this and watching him do that knowing that that's going on through his brain while kind of like a, a more uh casual dialogue is coming out of his mouth is pretty mm-hmm. impressive like it's like hell of a, of a performance in that moment and and it's so sad to like the whole thing once you know once you've seen the movie once and you know that all this is happening and he wasn't even overdosed <laughs> it's like no she yeah. she gave him the right medicine and he, here he is making this huge sacrifice for his only friend that didn't need to happen because he's actually gonna be okay it's a uh, th- that scene is fantastic um but as far as like somebody that's through the entire movie like it stanfield has really grown on me because i now i watch him in the background while everybody else is talking and he's always really funny <laughs> Yeah, or he'll say things kind of like under his breath or just in the background. Uh, and and I love the other guy too, the white guy, the young Jeff Daniels. I think that's it's never <laughs> specifically stated in Looper, but there's like some context clues that you could find that he is Jeff Daniels' younger self in that movie. Anyway, he's really good too. They have a really good dynamic of mm-hmm. like when Blanc says something that. Like Keith doesn't understand. He looks to him and he like smiles. He, oh, it's like this. And you know, he's always <laughs> quoting like the mystery novels or movies or citing rather, not quoting. Yeah. They, and then you'll cut back to Lakeith and he's just rolling his eyes. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he's, it, it's really good. He's not the only one. I, mean, I think that, you know, one of the cool things about having such a stacked cast that is working together in so many of the, of the scenes, almost every scene, is that even when you have a couple of them at the forefront, you know, carrying the scene, you have all these other great actors in the background just doing their own thing. And uh, like I noticed in the the political discussion, because it's Don Johnson and Tony Collette, but sitting on the background, there's uh, Michael Shannon is sitting next to Tony Collette, like on the other side of the couch. And then, of course, Jamie Lee Curtis is sitting on the same couch as Don Johnson. And they don't get any lines, but you can see the reactions and you can see that they're not really interested in having this conversation. <laughs> and at some point, uh, Michael Shannon's wife kind of like interjects and she starts saying something. And you can see him in the background kind of like waving her off, like saying like, stop. <laughs> but it's never called attention to, you know, he's always in the background. And just to have that, those resources, you know, you have this cast, all these A-listers. Yeah, you can just put them in the background. You know they're going to give you gold no matter what. Like, no matter what your shot is, you're going to get good stuff from whoever's in the shot. So, 
that's uh, that's pretty cool. And it it rewards the rewatching. Once you know what the plot is like, that you can start focusing on the little details. One moment I called out in Contrarian's Corner that I want to circle back to because it really it was like the moment of the movie for me, uh, especially knowing how the movie plays out and how Chris Evans is pretty much the bad guy mm-hmm. is that scene when they're at that diner and she tells him the whole story and it cuts back to him and he's just kind of dejected. And he has that line where he's just like looking down at the table uh, and he says, I thought I was the only one that could beat him and go. And like, you know, it's that board game they play. Mm-hmm. I had to look it up because I didn't, it looked familiar. I didn't know what the fuck it was. Go is an abstract strategy board game for two players in which the aim is to surround more territory than the opponent. The game was invented in China more than 200 or excuse me 2500 years ago and is believed to be the oldest board game continuously played to the present day. Imagine being a fan of the game Go and being <laughs> so disappointed by the movie adaptation. <laughs> Timothy Oliphant, what the fuck is this? <laughs> He's not surrounding anybody. The playing pieces are called stones. One player uses the white stones, the other black. The players take turns placing the stones on the vacant intersections or points of the board. Once placed on the board, stones may not be moved, but the stones are removed from the board if the stone or group of stones is surrounded by opposing stones on all or orthogonally adjacent points. What is that word? What the fuck is this game? In which case the stone or group is captured. The game proceeds until neither player wishes to make another move. When a game concludes, the winner is determined by counting each player's surrounded territory along the captured stones and comi, parenthetically points added to the score of the player with the white stones as compensation for playing second. Games may also be terminated by resignation. I have a feeling that's how a lot of them end. Well, that's definitely how the one in the movie ended. Orthogonally. That's how you say it. Excuse me. But what does it mean? Of or involving right angles and then semicolon at right angles. So the contrarians play Go. That might just be our live stream for the Cure segment. <laughs> do that. Anyway, the point here, what I'm trying to say, Chris Evans, great actor. The way he delivers that line has such believability and conviction, and you can see so much into it. And this is the type of shit I get off on and I fixate on on when it comes to movies is little small lines that are like windows to these characters because you can tell in that moment that actually means something to him. He's in that moment. He has this reflection upon his relationship with his grandfather and how – he's realizing he's dead and they had this thing together and it was so special to him. And then this thing, this realization comes to light and it's, it really hurts him. And in that moment, just that brief moment, however fleeting, he really does miss his grandfather. And it's like his whole, all his memories with him flash before him there. And it makes that character, that singular line made his character, more accessible to me than some of the other characters in the movie just because it's so relatable and so genuine and then you know he becomes kind of almost you know chris evans bad guy there's certain parts of this where he's almost acting like he does in fucking i keep want to say forgetting sarah marshall what movie i think of uh, scott pilgrim versus the world oh <laughs> where he, he's just like really brooding and i'm chris evans that type of thing but um what's crazy about that scene though is that then it even gets recontextualized because when uh Daniel Craig is, you know, kind of like explaining what really happened. They cut back to that scene where, you know, when they're at the diner. And it's also on top of that, it's also the moment where he realizes that that the toxicology report is not going to prove that she killed him. You know, because she just explained yeah. to him what happened. So it's it's amazing because it's like you get the great performance of like him missing his grandfather. But then once you go back to it, you also get like that extra performance because he's, he's kind of like before he speaks, he's just looking and he his house of cards just crumbled. Exactly. Him. And he goes, like, huh? <laughs> and you're like, yep. Yeah. You just realize that your plan is not going to work out. Uh, it's it's really good. It's like that extra layer. Uh, but I, I, I think that the, the other characters, they get also those brief moments of where you're like, OK, I want to believe that they're good people or that they're that they could be good people. Right. Like there's a. It's just a shame that they're proven to be uh, hypocrites or shallow or whatever. But uh, I go back to Michael Shannon. There's a moment where Meg brings him over so he can tell Marta what they had discussed, which was that they were going to take care of her because she was she was good to their dad. And so they're, they're going to take care of her financially. And that is 
you know, all things considered, that's kind of a selfless thing because at that point they don't know anything. So they have no reason to uh, extend this kindness to somebody that had no relationship with them. So in that moment, kind of like what you're saying about, <laughs> about Chris Evans, I was like, that seems like kind of cool, you know, like a, these guys, like they're not completely like selfish and self-absorbed. They can recognize that this woman was doing something good for their their father and they want to kind of reward that. Uh, and then, of course, you know, that when things get complicated, they kind of show their true colors. And then you're like, OK, so they're only nice when they're like winning, when they're on top, <laughs> when they're not when they're not winning, then they're they only care about their own skin. I think that there's some people in the movie that kind of get those moments. I mean, Meg, obviously, probably it's the most the one that they attempt to be to make more sympathetic than everybody else, I think. And then uh, uh, even Tony Collette, which all, all her uh, apparent shallowness. I feel like her reactions to like a lot of the shit that is going on. I wouldn't say that they're in line with how I would react, but out of how everybody else was reacting, I'd be like, yeah, I mean, she's she seems outraged, a little more outraged for like the right things than the wrong things. But at the end, of course, they're all they're all terrible people anyway. Yeah, that was the thing you mentioned, Meg. We didn't talk about it, and that I, I guess that that's one of my complaints about it because they set it up like she's gonna be a noble character, and then she's just as shitty as all of them, which I guess kind of makes sense. But it kind of just seemed like an unnecessary diversion or like side tangent to me. But I think that it's actually that's what makes her the maybe the most uh, realistic or even relatable character in a way, you know, because she is the one that I I think that's what I would be afraid that I would be right, like that I think that I'm a good person, but then when push comes to shove, I will actually put myself ahead, right? Like she's she's really good until. It becomes clear that her her tuition money, you know, she might not be able to go to school, and then she throws Marta under the bus. And then I don't know. I mean, do you feel that she's being sincere when she apologizes later? Yeah, kind of. I guess that's a good point. Money will make you do crazy things, especially in that situation, in a time period of grieving. I do just love the whole complete meltdown they all have when. Frank Oz is just like it's so funny too. He opens the will and he pulls it out, just a single piece of paper. Oh, this will be easy. <laughs> yeah, uh, Frank Oz is great. He, yeah, the way that he delivers I, his lines is just so. Dead yeah, there's hand. one. One of them's like you're fucking useless or something like that. He's like, okay, and he like gets up and leaves. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a detail of because uh, he's there with his assistant, I guess, who's helping him read the will, and uh, and then you know. The big thing happens, the, the chaos happens, and then when you cut back to the to the house and they're all interrogating him and telling him, well, how can we get out of this? How can we fix it? And there's a shot of him sitting on the couch, and then in the background, you can see his assistant passed out. <laughs> She's just asleep on a couch or something. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't catch that. <laughs> it's like, she's, fuck it. There's nothing else that we can do here. Um, the I think that the only actor that is kind of wasted even though it doesn't really bother me but uh, the the little kid from it they set him up as such a funny character i i I think that the moments where they make fun of him are really funny like when the they say that he was in the you know earlier in the in the discussion with chris evans like they say that he was in the bathroom that this kid was in the bathroom and they make the joke that he was jerking off looking at i don't know something inappropriate and then uh but then later, what's really funny is when Daniel Craig references it, uh, when he's doing his recap of what really happened. And he goes, yeah, the Nazi kid that was masturbating in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't really give him a, a, anything to do. I mean, that's it's kind of a shame that he... Because, you know, he's the kid from It. So he's, he's already kind of carried a movie. And here he gets a, a, a very tiny part. It's good to see Ricky Lindholm. As I've mentioned, I I enjoy her, and I think she's a. Uh, I think we've learned for the little bit parts we've seen her in, she's a really solid actress. Mm-hmm. There wasn't enough of her and Michael Shannon interacting, though. I wish I could have gotten a little bit more of that, but uh. she's a she's a definitely a background, more of a background character. There's a when uh, Michael Shannon is uh, being told by by his dad, by Christopher Plummer, that that basically he's getting fired, and they're having that conversation, kind of like. Oh, on the side and you can see Ricky Lindholm like walk by in the background 
<laughs> like she's keeping she's keeping tabs on her husband. It's uh, it's pretty yeah, yeah, funny. Yeah. yeah, it's good stuff, man. Uh, I'm glad we used this to fill in the gap that we had. I don't know if I was at the point where I was considering this a blind spot in my movie viewing, but I'm glad we watched it. And uh, yeah, definitely we'll have to revisit it at some point to see if I genuinely enjoyed Daniel Craig's performance or if it's just something I find funny. I think I, I, I couldn't figure it out because I was just so like shocked by it because it was <laughs> I, I had no forewarning of what was coming. But uh, yeah, really solid stuff. The first time I watched it, I, I didn't like his accent. I think it was the one thing that I didn't like in the movie. And then it just kind of grew on me. You know, the second time I watched it, I was like, okay, I get it now. It's just, it's just, it's so weird to see him, to see that sound coming out of his mouth. <laughs> never see him do something, anything like that. That's James Bond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, Anna de Armas, I mean, yeah, we, we kind of made fun of it in Contreras Corner, but I, I thought that it was great that she got a starring role here after being solid support. Uh, I, I was not kidding. She is the best part of Blade Runner 2049. She plays a, and artificial intelligence that uh, Ryan Gosling kind of keeps as his assistant, but they also have this weird sort of platonic romantic relationship. She's great. <laughs> she's she's so good. And and now I mean she's in other things, but I I still think of her mainly as like oh nice out that was her thing. That's what, what when she really landed in Hollywood. And then you know like I said she dated Ben Affleck, and I guess there's a Netflix movie with them, but that's probably how they started dating, and it's supposed to be a an erotic thriller. They're trying to bring that genre back. I'm listening. <laughs> Affleck. We spent uh, uh, we spent like a whole season trying to convince people that the erotic thriller is uh, <laughs> it's worth a revisiting. valuable medium. Yeah. Well, it, it didn't. It hasn't done well. Deep Water. That's what it's called, and. Since this is a Run Tomato show, 37% with a 23% audience score. Actually, it's Hulu, not Netflix. If you feel like, uh, feel like seeing uh, beautiful people naked and contorting around each other, that's, that's your next stop. Just watch the second scene in um, Holy Motors. <laughs> Artsy. Artsy and sexual. Yes. Immigrants. We get the job done. All right, Julio, I checked out your letterbox review on this. I, I'm not sure it's going to change uh, your opinion after this most recent viewing. But, um, yeah, I was pretty impressed. Uh, it's not my favorite Ryan Johnson movie, uh, but I'm content with yeah, probably a B plus. I definitely felt the runtime towards the end, and there's some things I just for my taste that could be tightened up a little bit, but it's still a hell of a piece of business. So B plus on my end. Is it still getting the full Monty from you? It gets the full Monty. It it I enjoy that ending so much. That that final shot. I think it just you know it's the culmination of those little things that are running through the movie. We've been talking. It, it seems like a, a theme of recent episodes has been me being kind of disheartened by just the by humanity in general. But then there's little things like this that I don't know if they give me hope or if, or if they just give me pleasure because it's just somebody kind of like sticking it to the man and uh, just seeing out of the armas up there drinking her coffee, looking down on all these assholes. It, it's, yeah, it's a pretty baller closing. Yeah, it, it's just so good. It, after everything that has happened in the movie and how much of their personality they've revealed, it just it's such a perfect ending. And it and it's just like a very simple statement, I think, from Ryan Johnson. So that's that's good. It's it's so good. I easily my favorite of his, but I also love Looper. I love Last Jedi. It's kind of bonkers that I haven't seen Brothers Bloom yet, <laughs> considering how much I like uh, the other movies of his that are not Brick. Mr. Johnson, we are once more in your debt. I don't know if the time will ever come where we do a Star Wars movie, let alone Last Jedi or Looper on here, but uh, I'm glad we covered your most recent entry, and I'm sure we'll circle back to the discussion uh, whenever the sequel is released. I might even get out of the house and go see that at the movie theater. Hey! We'll see. We might go together. Let's make a thing. Which has been, which has been reserved specifically for Halloween and Jackass <laughs> movies for the past two years. <laughs> All right. 
that was Knives Out. Julio, you got anything else for me? Or are we going to take this bitch home? Well, we should let uh, our listeners know that our next episode is uh, Patron Demand. <laughs> this is uh, the the second part of uh, Dan Brennick's demand as patron. So he gave us Annihilation for the patron channel. For the main feed, he's giving us Private Life, written and directed by Tamara Jenkins, starring Paul Giamatti and one of your favorite actresses, Alex Catherine Hahn. This is uh, a Netflix original. And without giving too much away, I saw that Dan posted on Twitter that he thinks this is the second best Netflix original movie. My God. So, so high praise there. Uh, Catherine Hahn, Paul Giamatti, the fucking Zodiac killers in here. <laughs> John Car- Carroll Lynch, Molly Shannon, Siobhan Fallon Hogan. I forget what movie she's done that we've talked about before. She's in... Uh, She's the bus driver from Forrest Gump. Oh. She's also the... I'm going to get choked up thinking about it. She's the prison guard that befriends Bjork and Dancer in the Dark. Oh, what a film. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Daddy Daycare. That's what we did. She was in. That's, wow. I was trying to, I was <laughs> Whiplash. From the emotional uh, doldrums of Dancer in the Dark to the creative doldrums of Daddy Daycare. <laughs> I can't wait. That's coming up next, listeners. So hold tight. Uh, I want to say this. It's a fresh movie. So we'll be we'll be saying mean things about it in Contrarian's Corner. 93%. Yep. Yep. There we go. Staying in the 90s. But that's it. Alex, take us home. All right. So close out here with our perennial plugs. We start off by giving a thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all Festive Years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster, Hans Roth Gieser, is the man behind our logo, all the graphics on our webpage, our patron page, our merch page. Uh, if it has a tomato looking at itself in the mirror and seeing a green splotch, that's probably something that Hans did. Uh, you can check out his webpage, mildemonios.pe, M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S, Dot pe uh, to see his work he's a writer he's a bunch of sci-fi novels uh, zombie novels as well and he's a podcaster like i said he has the show marginal which is about economy and the show nacion combi which is about peruvian current affairs uh, hans thank you for all your support and thank you as always to miss zoe perez the recent birthday girl happy belated birthday zoe uh, who is our social media guru she helps curate our facebook and instagram accounts if you're on Facebook, facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime is where you can find some exclusive videos that preview in detail our upcoming episodes. A lot of times we discuss trivia bits or just uh, opinions of the film that actually don't get covered in the episodes. So be sure to head over to our Facebook page to check out those videos. And also on Instagram at Contrarian Prime is where you can follow us. Zoe posts audio clips, interactive graphics, pictures, previewing, and uh, linking off to upcoming and present episodes. So be sure to check us out on social media and we as always are sure to thank zoe for the work she does for us so with all those pleasantries out of the way that is going to do it for this episode of the contrarians where we're right and you're wrong and we will catch you next time I'm really glad you're following.